chapter 3. Verses 20 through the end of the chapter. So Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 20. People of God, this is God's very word. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, They went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Surely, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brothers? And he sat and looked around in a circle at those... Who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And there ends the reading of God's word this morning. as we jump back into the Gospel of Mark this morning. Last week we had that little lull, didn't we? A little lull in the action. And 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 Mark gave us a summary of what Jesus had been doing since his baptism. Remember, healing and casting out demons. Really, he was kingdom building this whole time. And then we saw him choose 12 from out of a group of disciples. That was a lot bigger than 12, but he chose 12 Made them into apostles, the sent ones, for more kingdom building. And now Mark decides, well, that's enough of the lull. Let's get back into the action. Mark's gospel is action-packed. And this morning, Mark is going to show us two groups of people. Two groups that both have a problem with Jesus. The first group is going to say that Jesus has gone mad. That Jesus is losing his mind. And the second group is going to tell everyone that whatever Jesus is teaching, it's bad. It's terrible. Don't listen to him. It comes from Satan. But Jesus gives us another option, doesn't he? 
right? He tells us that he's not mad or bad, but that he's God. Right? And if you've re ever read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, you've heard it another way. Right? Lewis uses the terms lunatic, liar, and lord. But it's the same thing. This is the text where that comes from. That's exactly what we're going to see this morning. Is Jesus a lunatic? Is he mad? Is he crazy? Has he lost his mind? Is he a liar? Is everything he's doing, everything that he's doing, is it a lie? Or is he Lord? See, Jesus' family, his family, those he grew up with, those who love him, have come to the conclusion that he's really lost his mind. And what are they going to do? They're going to go get him and take him home. Think about this. Jesus isn't a kid anymore. Jesus is 30. He, can't, he might even be 31 here. And his family's like, no, we got to go get him and take him home. Then we have this group of scribes from Jerusalem. Think about that. We're hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. We're still in Galilee. But they sent for the big dogs now. No more Galilean Pharisees. No more Galilean teachers of the law. No, no, no. We got Jerusalem here now. And they're telling everybody, don't listen to Jesus. He isn't from God. He's really a worker of the devil. He's really doing the bidding of the devil. See, beloved, what are we seeing this morning in the text? We're seeing what unbelief looks like. And it could come from two different sides of the spectrum. Unbelief could come from his own family. And then it comes from those who truly hate him. And Jesus is going to have none of it, beloved. He's not going to have any of it. He's going to tell them what's truly going on. What he's going to do. And as we go through our text this morning, we'll also see something that people have made way more out of than they should. Because I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, nobody in this room has ever done this. And we'll get into that. There's a lot going on in our text this morning, isn't there? We're also going to look at something that will hit home in a church like ours. But we really need to get into the text, or we're going to have a really long morning. So let's get started. Verse 20. We see this first group. Right, verse 20 says, Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. See, remember back to last week, after Jesus had picked the 12, these 12 that would turn the world upside down. The last verse from last week says, well, they went home. Well, what happens when Jesus goes home? You remember last time Jesus went home? Remember what happened? The crowd got so big that they had to tear a hole in Peter's roof to bring a paralytic down. That's what happened last time Jesus went home. Now he goes home again. And the crowd is so big now, they can't even eat. It's just packed. 
There's no room. In the gospel, writer Mark tells us what happens next. He switches the scene on us. Did you, did you catch that? Because he's talking about his family here. And then the very next verse, he talks about somewhat, a different group completely different. Verse 21, his own people, meaning Jesus' family, have been hearing all about what's happening with Jesus. They hear about how big these crowds are getting. They hear about this teaching that Jesus has about the kingdom of God. They're hearing about this gospel ministry. And they thought, we got this charade can't go on any longer. We gotta go get Jesus. And the, and the term that's used, do you see that term? They want to lay hold of him. That, that term is used to physically grab somebody, to seize them. Like they want to go physically pick up Jesus and carry him home. And then the very next verse, that's verse 21, the very next verse, we don't hear about Jesus' family anymore. Then we hear, and when the scribes came down from Jerusalem, and they said, he has Beelzebub. And you're like, wait a second, Mark, slow down. What happened to Jesus' family? Well, Mark's going to get there. But what he's showing us is two different scenes here. See, Mark wants to tell us that Jesus' family is going to come get him. Jesus' family isn't in Capernaum. They're in Nazareth. And so he's, 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 he's priming the pump for us. Okay, this is what's happening, but now this is what's really happening. And then when they show up, it's like the camera pans to them walking in. We'll get there. It's so good. Mark writes this as an action-packed scene, like something we'd watch on television. Think about that. 2,000 years ago, writing action-packed. I love it. we get down to verse 31. Oh, that's what I already said. The, pan, the cameras will pan. Now, back to the, our text. Jesus' family is on the way. These scribes from Jerusalem show up. Jerusalem now. We're not messing anymore. Think about this. It's gonna get, for Jesus, as his ministry goes on, it gets tougher and tougher with the teachers of the law. When you hear about Nazareth and you hear about Galilee, they, they think that's like the boondocks. That's far in their minds. Nobody wants to come from there. Right? So when Jesus deals with the Pharisees and teachers of the law there, that's like the minor leagues. But now Jerusalem is showing up. Right? This is like a group sent from the Sanhedrin. Who is this new teacher? Why are his crowds so big? What is he teaching? See, and after Jesus had continually put the minor leagues in their place in Galilee, the reinforcements are called in. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem. He has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. See, they want nothing of Jesus. Straight for the jugular. 
No, it's just the devil. And what we need to notice here is they didn't say that Jesus didn't do these miracles. They didn't say he didn't heal anybody. They didn't say he didn't heal the leper. They didn't say he didn't cast out the demons. But what they said was, he's doing it by the power of the devil. These scribes admit that Jesus is doing these miracles. But it's by Satan's power. See, so if Jesus' family think he's a lunatic, he's out of his mind. These scribes from Jerusalem are saying, Jesus is a liar, everyone. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Right? It's the power of Satan. Jesus is a liar. Don't listen to him anymore. Go home. He's not kingdom building for anyone. How do you think Jesus is going to take that? Jesus is so irritated with them. From this point on. That he doesn't even get into theological debates with them anymore. From now on in the gospel, it's not about theology anymore. He tells them, he talks to them in parables. He's done. And if you were here last Sunday night, we talked about parables. We looked at one. Right? A parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right? Jesus is going to use these things. That the people know to teach them a heavenly point. And from now on, this is what he does. Even to the crowds, but especially the teachers of the law. They're not allowed to talk theology with Jesus anymore. He doesn't give them that opportunity. And so Jesus gives them two parables. Starting with the first one at verse 23. So he called them, that's those the teachers of the law, the scribes, he calls them to him. And he says to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Hmm. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's at an end. You can almost hear the frustration in his voice, can't you? He's like, you got to be kidding me. This is the best you can do? Are you that dull? Satan against Satan? That's what you really think. Like, you have to imagine Jesus here. Livid. Livid with these guys. what Jesus does here. If Satan fought against himself and his kingdom is divided, it, it doesn't stand, it falls apart. Right? And then he would be at an end. But look around. Satan is not at his end. The one thing we've seen in Jesus' ministry is the power of darkness against Jesus. Right? The devil's alive and well. All these demons are coming out of the woodwork. 
when Jesus is in a town. But now he tells them another parable. And this parable is really what is going on. This is, he's telling them, this is what's happening, guys. Pay attention. This is what he tells the teachers of the law. Verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. That's what Jesus is doing. That is Jesus' ministry. Who's the strong man here in the parable? Satan is. What has Jesus come to do? To bind up the strong man and plunder his house. This is what one pastor wrote about this text. Jesus came to destroy the influence of Satan on people's lives and restore them. Jesus has come into the house of the prince of this world to plunder it. Who has more power here? Jesus does. And I love that because it has an exclamation point at the end. Who has more power here? Jesus does. Jesus binds up the strong man. See, ultimately, Jesus is the rightful owner of this world. And he's come to destroy the illegitimate power of Satan. And eventually, he's going to cast him into a lake of fire. But now, Jesus isn't done with the scribes yet, is he? Right? He's upset at these guys. Verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Beloved, Jesus just hit them with a sledgehammer. These men had accused the Son of God for having an unclean spirit. And as we can see, he didn't take too kindly of that. He tells them what they just did was unforgivable. Done. He tells them, what you just did was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I want us to pause here. You know, a lot of people get stuck on this, don't they? People want to know, have I ever done this? Have I ever committed the unforgivable sin? Like I said earlier, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, nobody in this room has done that. Nobody. You have not committed the unforgivable sin. Why? Why? Because if you were in Christ, you can't. If you were in Christ, you cannot do it. You never have to worry about committing the unforgivable sin. It's impossible. See, the true problem people have with reading this text is that they skip the first part. And they just jump to the last part. Did, 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 you, did you skip that first part too? The greatest news you'll ever hear? I'm going to read it to you again. 
Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter. See, Jesus wants you to know, beloved, that his substitutionary atonement covers everything. All sins. Even blasphemies. If you're in Christ, you're covered. See, you never have to worry that your sins are too much for Jesus. Hold on to that. Those who the Son has set free are free indeed. Do you believe that, beloved? Because the devil is going to come and whisper in your ear, Oh, you're a sinner. If I can see what you're doing, God can see what you're doing. Oh, he's going to give it to you. He's going to say those things to us. See, we're all sinners. We can admit it. But if we're in Christ, assuredly, I say to you, and the Greek is, amen. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter, Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So Jesus is a liar? Of course not. Of course not. Is he a lunatic? Well, let's keep reading. So now we get to that camera pan. Right? Jesus is done with the scribes from Jerusalem. Now we can see Jesus' family walking in. Verse 31, then his brothers and his mothers came. Right, there's that time gap there. And standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. You can just imagine them outside the house. They can't even get close. There's too many people there. Verse 32, and a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who's my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. What are we to do with this? Maybe Jesus has lost his mind. This sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? Now, I was always taught that blood is thicker than water. You heard that before? Family always comes first. But Jesus seems to throw his family under the bus. What are we to do with a text like this, beloved? And I struggled with this for a long time. This is what R.C. Sproul, who's my favorite modern theologian, he says, this is what he says about this text. He says this. This is super important for us to understand. He says, these words, which seem slightly rude on the surface, were not a denial or repudiation by Jesus of his mother and brothers. Instead, 
They are a profound teaching about union with Christ. Jesus declares that those who believe in him and do God's will have a relationship with him that is closer than blood. Closer than blood relationship between parents and children and siblings. We must never lose sight of the fact that if you are in Christ, we are bound to Jesus by a mighty mystical cord that can never be broken. Think about that. Jesus isn't afraid. Think about that. Think about it in a church like ours. Where that pew is related to that pew, related to that pew, related to that pew. In Christ, that pew over there is related to this pew over here, and they're not even blood. In Christ, we are so united with him that we're reunited with each other. Jesus isn't a liar. He's not a lunatic. No, he's showing everyone in that room that if you do the will of God, you're united with Jesus. And if you're united with Jesus, you can never be separated, no matter what. But sometimes that's tough to hear, isn't it? Jesus isn't trying to say that that isn't my mom or that isn't my brothers or those aren't my sisters. What he's trying to tell the crowd is, if you're in Christ, that's what God really, really wants. That's the will of God there. So you see, Jesus isn't crazy. He's not a lunatic. He doesn't need to be carried away by his brothers. And he had a lot of brothers. We'll find that out in the next couple chapters. They probably could have carried him if they wanted to. But he doesn't, use, he doesn't need the, his brothers to carry him away. He doesn't use the power of Satan to cast out demons. No, he uses the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit he gave the apostles earlier in chapter 3 to build the kingdom. The same Holy Spirit that has sealed you with him for the day of redemption. The same Holy Spirit that makes everybody in this room brothers and sisters. So he's not a lunatic. He's not a liar. Beloved, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to finish with this this morning before we go to the table. If you've never read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, pick it up. Very good. If you don't like reading... Listen to the audiobook. They're out there. Listen to what Lewis writes. This, no, excuse me, that is the one thing you must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not make him a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and claim him Lord and God. 
but let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it. Beloved, Jesus Christ is Lord. Not a lunatic, not a liar. Lord. And if he's your Lord, the table's been open. This morning we get to come to the table and share a meal with him. There's no better blessing than that. But if you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in him and him alone, he invites you this morning to share a meal with him. Because if you're set free by the Son, you are free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God.